Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And this month we start off with... Mmm, a tasty kiss for the navigator. Tasty. Now, how come I'm getting a kiss? Well, I've had so much response from people saying that they liked having two episodes of the RV Navigator, and I know that's what it costs. (laughs) One, two, three... Two kisses, and she does a second episode. He's doubling my wages. Doubling your wages. Aren't you lucky? Well, we are here. uh, Well, here is home. Why are we here? Why are we here? It's cold, rainy, ugly. When we were on the road, I was getting kind of ready to be home. I was missing my washing machine and missing my mom and missing some of our friends that are here. But now that we're here at home in Metro Chicago... The weather is cold. We've had a lot of rain, and we've been home a week, and I'm ready year. to leave again. But we did have a fun trip home, and uh, just as a small aside here, today's uh, episode is kind of eclectic, so I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. We have actually quite a few things, but uh, the order may kind of fall apart here. But we first want to talk about our contact information, ask you to please send us uh, some emails, uh, leave us uh, a voicemail message at 815-230-0772. We love to hear from you, and uh, we love to get questions, and we love the comments that you've been sending along. And to that end, I've had some complaints that I have not put up the rig photos that I promised uh, many episodes ago. But if you take a look at the website now, you'll notice that the four photos that I have, and this is kind of a prodding, please send us some photos of your rigs so that we can put them up on the RV Navigator website. Uh, We can see the vast number of people that listen and have fabulous rigs that they want to show off. Maybe you were waiting for our faster internet connection at home to yeah, do, well, that do, was to one do of the this things. Yeah, that, that is definitely a factor. So rig photos we need. Um, we need emails. We need uh, voicemails. And we like did you say the guys. phone number? I did, 815-230-0772. Got it. Um, I was going to mention that at uh, our trip home, we were lucky because we haven't had to pay $4 for fuel so far. Yet. It's one of the reasons why is because we have a 150-gallon tank. But it did cost us about $600. $600 to drive home. And I guess... From from Florida. Although we did stop off in Georgia for a while. My question is, is it a bargain? Is what a bargain? Staying in an RV. No, we no. talked about this before. Yes, but we just talked about it from a different perspective. We could have both flown to Florida and back for $600. Easily. Easily. But because we stayed so long in Florida... We actually saved money. Well, and we can't just say fly to Florida because mm. we went to many places in Florida. Yeah. And how but would you, you have go gotten rent a car. In, And the gas would have been much cheaper. Yeah. I was looking at the uh, at one of the KOAs, and it was interesting to note that the KOA also had uh, cabins and condos for rent. As KOAs are, that was fairly expensive for RVing in the, on the order of $60 a night for a waterfront campsite, which is... A nice, very nice campsite. This was in Florida. Yeah, and they had condos that started at $125 and ran up to about $225 for the $225 was for the uh, oceanfront. So 
RVing definitely would have been expensive, but less than staying in a no, condo. No, because to be fair, you also have to add in the cost of owning the RV and purchasing the RV. It's still cheaper. No, it's not a bargain. It's not a bargain? No. It's a wonderful lifestyle, and I'm very glad that we can do it. But I'm trying to justify the cost here, and you're not helping me at all. Pleasure. Audience, audience, please help me. (laughs) Is it justified? Pleasure. Okay. Yes. Well, our audience, who is mostly RVers, does think it's justified. But that's intangible. You can't put that on a credit debit sheet. I think you can. I think we could justify it in terms of cost for the amount of time that we were there. We'll have to make this another podcast after we do some adding and subtracting. Well, this month we will only be having one podcast because we are leaving again. Um, We are sailing in the Sea of Cortez uh, in mid-April, which means that we won't be home in order to do a second podcast. So you'll have to stay tuned and listen to the May one for the full report. We're meeting some RVers, but we are sailing on a bear boat with uh, three other couples doing the Sea of Cortez. Uh, we should explain. Many people don't seem to know what bare boat means. It means that it comes without any provisions and without any crew. So it's kind of like RVing on a boat. You buy the stuff you're going to use, and you plan your itinerary, and you sail to where you want to go. You'll want to hear about that, and we will be talking about that in the next episode so we, we can get it uploaded because we won't be home until May. After but we've recovered from our seasickness. Well, and after we've recovered from all this cold weather here in the northern frozen north here. But uh, other topics that we wanted to mention, uh, a couple of follow-up items. Uh, number one is, is that I talked last month about the isolator box that we bought, and I talked enthusiastically about the fact that it isolates you from the problems that might be uh, in the pedestal that you plug into at a campground. Ours, of course, was automatic, and you just plug it in, and it automatically does the checking and stuff. Many people don't want to install one of those or, or even get one of the the other boxes that plugs in externally. Or spend the money. Or spend the money. I would advise you um, to spend a few dollars, and I'm talking about probably less than 10, on getting a polarity checker, which you would plug in prior to plugging in your RV. This does pretty much the same thing, only manually, and it has uh, a bunch of little lights on it, and it tells you, depending on the combination of lights that light up, whether the the plug is is wired correctly. And this is just very important because you don't want to get yourself zapped as a result of uh, the plug being miswired. Not your RV, but the one that you plug into. And that, as I mentioned, we've had several instances ourselves where we have had electrical problems as a result of a problem with the box. So this simple, inexpensive uh, circuit analyzer uh, that you can buy at Ace Hardware or any almost any hardware store and certainly a camping world um, will check to see if your polarity and stuff is correct prior to plugging in. It will not tell you if there's 220. Well, it might because it might blow up in your hand. It does uh, provide a, a, a measure of safety, which you should take seriously. Um, and this is, it's a little small thing that fits in your glove compartment, very, very easy to use, and you just plug it in prior to plugging your RV in. Uh, we also want to mention about digital TVs. You're beginning to see ads on the TV about uh, digital TV coming into play in next February. And I'm going to be replacing our TVs in our RV this summer. And RVers are going to be very much affected by this because the TVs 
uh, in your RV will no longer receive over-the-air signals. And anybody with built-in ones, they're a different yeah. shape, so that's a problem, too. Well, no, they're standard TVs, but it'll no, be... No, compared a... to the old ones. The old ones oh, are more yeah, square, yeah, and these are more horizontal. I will probably be having a couple of podcasts about the interesting things that I find out when I pull out our TV. One of the would, good things would is... Would that you had better carpentry skills. <laughs> yeah, yes. Or, or I. Can I figure out how to take off the bezel? Maybe somebody could send me some tips here. Um, and I know our front TV weighs 80 pounds, so that's going to be an issue there. It's a 23-inch Sony, and it weighs 80 pounds, whereas our 40-inch that we put in, which, of course, is digital and high-definition, weighed only something like 25 pounds. I could carry it by myself. Yeah. The new ones will save you a lot of weight, so it's worth it from that end because we're going to put in one in the, in the uh, bedroom. So this will definitely be of advantage, but let's be clear about what we're doing here. As of February, the analog signals that you receive and generally channels 2 through 13 uh, will not will no longer be broadcast there will be no signal there so you will get nothing over the air however if you have a tv with an atsc tuner which is the new digital tuner you will receive signals that are being broadcast and many stations are broadcasting them now uh, kind of as a test or duplicating the services so that you can see how this works. If you buy one of the new tuners, new TVs, it will have both tuners built in. Um, the old tuner is called an NTSC tuner, and the new tuner is called an ATSC tuner. You will need to have this new tuner on your TVs. Um, a lot of people are talking about in the ads on the TV talk about uh, the government giving you coupons for the boxes. The box Boxes that I've seen cost about $80. The coupon is for $40. I'd just soon buy a new TV. <laughs> but that's me. But Yes, it is. But understand that uh, digital and high definition are not the same. And that this will these boxes will give you the capability to watch a digital signal on an old TV, but not high definition. Many of the stations are broadcasting high definition, but still many are broadcasting just digital TV. The good thing is, is that the wiring for the antennas in your RV basically will still work. As a matter of fact, we've had some interesting experiences with this now because our new TV is has both tuners in it, so I can make comparisons of the signals. I put the bat wing up. Rotated around to see what kind of of, of uh, stations we have in the area, and then I ask it to program. And it takes a few minutes, and it programs both the analog and the digital signals. And it's very interesting. In any given area, I can have a very weak analog signal, and this happened to us several times on this past trip. A very weak analog signal that is the current standard TV, and we would get a, a digital picture which was perfect. Well, it's kind of counterintuitive to me. Yes, to me, you need more juice or signal or something that, uh, for the well, I, th high def. Your point I was surprised. I, that's what I was expecting, too, but I'm t relating to you our experiences. I would have a picture that would be so snowy I could hardly watch it on Channel 3, for instance. And then I would tune to Channel 3-1 or 3.1, which means that it's the digital, and the signal would be perfect. And, of course, with digital, you either get it or you don't. You don't get any snow. So it's not like the, the picture kind of fades out as it does with analog. You don't get that, that snowy picture that you can hardly see. Uh, when a digital signal goes bad, it just goes black. Isn't it when it pixelates? It sometimes will pixelate a little bit, but the picture quality always remains good. And basically the picture will freeze, and you might still get sound, um, but you will... 
the picture quality won't diminish. It didn't seem to require more signal for high def as it did for digital. Digital pictures are basically square. In order for you to receive signals over the air, you're going to need this uh, a new tuner. And I don't think that the box that's uh, that the that is going to be sold is really going to be viable for most RVers because you'd have to put the box between the antenna and your distribution box that's already located in the RV. You probably have a box in your RV that says uh, antenna, DVD, VCR, that sort of thing. This box that is the addition would have a tuner in it and you'd have to have a remote control to tune to the channels. So you'd have to have the box in a remote control uh, at the head end or you'd have to have a box for each TV in the RV and two, two, two remotes which the navigator would really appreciate. <laughs> she loves remotes. To me, it's just not worth it, um, especially being that these uh, smaller TVs, the 19s and the 26s and that, that range are, are going to be less than $500 and saving a lot of weight. So please pay attention as uh, February comes around because you will suddenly be without a signal in your TV. Now, this does not apply to satellite, and it does not apply to cable. S but uh, many RVers watch the, the signal over the air. And ca campgrounds with cable connections are few and far between, I think. There well, are some. In, a, in the ritzier ones, they're yeah, certainly available. Some. And uh, interestingly enough, one of the things that brings this uh, into my mind is I came home and I asked my home TV to reprogram itself uh, off the cable, and it picked up 300 <laughs> digital cable channels. Um, so the cable TV companies are actually broadcasting the digital signal over the regular standard cable because I don't pay anything extra for a cable box or anything. Yet. I'm not planning on it because <laughs> we get most of our signal, our high-definition stuff through uh, the satellite, which we bring inside also. And now we have our own two boxes for the satellite also. So I thought you'd be kind of interested in that, and uh, I'm bringing you up to date, and we'll keep you posted as time goes along here. Well, we talked a lot about Perry in the last podcast, yes, too, but we forgot to mention the Guinness Book World Record setting event that was held there. Apparently, someone in charge of the entertainment there at Perry noticed that there was a record in the Guinness Book for couples who danced. How many couples danced at the same time doing the same dance? And it was held by um, 470 couples in Venezuela, if I remember correctly. And being an America first sort of person, the way he talked, this was extremely galling to him. And he thought with all the couples that there are there at Perry um, in their RVs, wouldn't it be easy and fun to break this record? And we were there. So uh, we all assembled in the arena where in the evening they normally had the entertainment and were given a quick and dirty lesson on how to do the box step. And they even had a live, very nice-sounding dance band there to play for us. That was us. the night's entertainment, yes. And uh, we all assembled on the floor, and by all, there were so many of us, you could hardly move, which was just as well because some of us didn't really box step all that well, and we tended to box, box step step being the operative word on other people nearby, um, but we broke the record soundly and box-stepped away for five minutes. How many couples were there all together? I think over 800. Uh-huh. 
So we trounced those Venezuelans, and it was kind of a fun thing to do. And now we are members of a Guinness Book of World Record record. We'll have to go out and buy the book. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about the news that have come to our attention since uh, the last podcast. You know, we love tours. It was interesting to note that uh, Winnebago in Iowa has actually revamped their tour so that now you can take a nice 90-minute tour at Winnebago, being that they've uh, been in business for 50 years and were the first ones to start making motorhomes. It's, uh, it'll be fun to see them, and, and they have a, a, a museum April 1st through November 30th, 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. They will be doing tours at the Winnebago factory at Forest City, Iowa. Stop by if you can. <laughs> Another news item, um, I think originally I saw this in Kansas. Well, everybody's aware of Stonehenge, I think, which is a <coughs> circle of large stones um, planted by Druids for some religious ceremonies in the London area. And someone in Kansas did the same sort of thing called Carhenge, where he buried um, old cars uh front end into the ground and back end sticking up in the air in a circle. And it's kind of one of those tourist novelties that you see when you um, go off of the expressway. And then we're driving to Disney World. On Interstate 4, um, just east of Tampa. And we see... Airstream Ranch. And someone has done the same kind of thing, burying Airstream trailers <laughs> in a circle into the ground. And, uh, of course, they're very large, so there's plenty sticking up out of the ground. And uh, while we were there, we could hear on the news every so often great discussion about whether this was an eyesore or, indeed, a work of art, something that often happens with new public art that's been erected. And according to this last news item that we have, um, the neighbors have protested, and they're afraid that it will cause accidents on the interstate, and so the guy has to take the Airstreams back out of the ground, and Airstream Ranch will be no more. <laughs> Japanese RV sales up. Boomers drive increase. Japanese baby boomers seeking post-retirement adventure have lifted annual year-over-year sales of camping vehicles for the third consecutive years. A growing number of seniors want to go freewheeling on freewheeling trips in Japan after retirement. The cars offer an added advantage of enabling people to take their pets with them, as we all know from camping in the United States. Sales of campers, including imports, rose from 3,099 units in 2004 to 4,126 units in 2006, according to the association. Now, just to put this in kind of in perspective, uh, 4,000 units, a reasonable amount for the output of one month in the United States. So the Japanese are not really competing with uh, us but they are certainly uh, coming onto the camping bandwagon. Camping vehicles are enjoying a popularity not seen since the outdoor leisure activity boom more than 10 years ago, according to industry officials. Popular models have traditionally been large minivan-based vehicles equipped with sleeping and dining facilities. They sell for around thirty dollars to $50,000. In recent years, however, mini-vehicle-based models priced around 2 million yen have also gained popularity. 2 million yen at about 100 to, so that's quite a lot. $200,000, right? One of these compact campers, the Tent Sumushi, 
has sold 130 units since its release in 2005. So I can see this is going to bring us the opportunity to rent a vehicle in Japan and go camping. No way. No way. Why? We were in Japan, and <laughs> and you cannot... You can't see camping? You cannot read Anything. Everything is in squiggly Japanese writing. Uh, they but drive we have in our a, GPS. And they drive on the left. Yeah. And the country is much too crowded for camping the way we do it. I mean, there are those little islands with all those people and <laughs> all these volcanic mountains, except for the northern island of Sapporo, there's very little open space. Uh, so this is a nice idea, I guess, but I don't see me doing it. Not anytime soon. Oh. We can't go camping? Well, we should look into this anyway. It'd be fun to uh, to look at the units and see what they look like anyway. I, there's no picture included, so I don't know what they look like. But we'll do some research and get back to you about camping in Japan. All right. All right. Um, I don't know how many of you are fans of the PBS show uh, called History Detectives where uh, people have we some... Are item uh, that they maybe have had in their family a long time or found in an attic and, and they want to find out more about it and the history detectives do a lot of research to get the story behind that item and they are working right now on an airstream a very old one that they suspect may have been in a caravan that occurred in Listen 1932 where 41 airstream trailers um, were on an odyssey that included meeting with lions in an Ethiopian palace and cruising on the Nile River. The trailers went about 12,000 miles from southern Africa to the Mediterranean Sea. And because the airstreams have like a registration number on them, um, this one still has the number but it's so old it's starting to wear off. Uh, they are hoping to research uh, this airstream trailer and see if it was in that original caravan 1932 and they went from where from south africa to the mediterranean so oh the whole length of, of the africa. of the continent oh yeah. my god yeah. that must have been a hell of a trip well that would be very interesting so that's going to be on in the summer so look for the airstream on the history detectives uh, in the summer on you know, pbs on pbs and while you're also watching tv you might want to take a look at the hgtv channel because uh, hgtv has uh, RVing 2008, which is going, which is um, unfortunately at this moment it is uh, just aired, but I expect it will air several times in the next couple of months, and it's called RVing, it's called RV 2008, and it premiered on March 30th, um, but it will be repeated as I mentioned. They have. Uh, had this traditional show where they talk about the latest and the greatest in the RV industry. So you might want to take a look at that um, and or look for it. That's on HGTV. I was surprised when um, I found out that casinos are often very welcoming of campers, and there's a new RV-friendly casino website that's run independently. Which is the website of the month. Is it? Yes, it is. And um, it lists things that you would expect, like casino campgrounds, as well as casinos that let you dry camp and park for free overnight on their grounds. This is pretty common. Mm -hmm. And uh, many RVers we've talked to like to stop at casinos even just to have the cheap meals there. This <laughs> website um, also talks a lot about camping issues like how to dry camp and it even includes what a surprise instructions on how to gamble and how to avoid being taken for a sucker but if you're looking for inexpensive camping uh, casinos definitely offer a an option um, and somewhat better option maybe than staying in a parking lot because you'll find
find uh, fellow RVers there. We were at a casino in uh, the Everglades the area. Everglades area, exactly. And we almost camped there, but uh, we were on our way to the Keys, and so we didn't have a chance to do it. But we stopped in, and there were probably five or six uh, RVs in the parking lot. And it had a nice buffet, like you would expect. Which we, of course, took of our advantage of. And the website also includes um, information on how to get free stuff, uh, comps like meals and show tickets. So RVers are always looking for a bargain, I know. And, and we know that the, sounds closest, interesting. that the closest campground to us here in the Chicago area is um, a casino. And we have had a couple of friends stay there as well as we have stayed there a couple of times um, and while we're working on our RV. And uh, it's been quite convenient and reasonably priced, although this one has uh, actual hookups, hookups and things. Yeah. So many of the RV-friendly uh, casinos just allow you to park in their lot, but some of them actually have uh, have sites. And the web address is casinocamper.com. Progressive, set to roll out RV pet coverage. Progressive, one of the industry's leading insurance providers, is adding pet coverage to its collision and comprehensive policies for RV owners beginning March 31st. The free add-on RV benefit covers injuries and pays up to $500 in the event of a pet's death in an accident, fire, or flood. Why are you laughing? I just don't see pet insurance. We are trying to get the word out because it's something that's very valuable to our viewers, says Progressive Representative. <laughs> we estimate that 60% of our viewers travel with their pets. Um, people are drawn to the RVs because of their pets. They don't want to have to kennel their pet or have someone take care of them. And it's hard to sit, stay in a hotel with an animal. And flying is even harder. It's interesting that we hear from some RVers that they make the decision about buying an RV because of their pets. But I would certainly agree with that. And uh, 60%, I would say, is low, even though we don't travel with a pet. Yeah. But I guess if you're going to travel with your pet, you may as well have insurance. We, would, we do have Progressive. We would like to travel with a pet we would yes we would maybe <laughs> some of us might but other of us uh, might not but if you have progressive insurance you might want to check it out uh, i don't know what it takes to invoke the coverage but uh it says that it's free so okay let's do it free free we like free Class A sector impacts February shipments. A 35% drop in Class A shipments uh, pulled down February wholesale shipments, which showed a 7% decline from a year ago. Ooh. According to the Recreation Vehicle Association overall, February shipments fell, fell to 27,600 units compared to 29,700 units a year, a year ago. Note that <laughs> Japan sold 4,000, and this is 27,000. For the two months, deliveries fell 7.1%. Shipments of Class A's totaled 1,800 units for the month and compared to 2,800 in 2007. Year-to-date deliveries retreated 33.3%, and that's why many of the RV manufacturers are down to three days a week and have laid off so many people. Is it the gas prices? Or is it other things? I think it's just fear. Or the bad economy altogether. Yeah, just fear of what's going on in the economy. 
Oh, you found another um, interesting, well, promising-looking website is what I would say. Uh, it's called the Long Long Honeymoon dot com, and uh, this is that features what is that what we're in I the Long Long we're Honeymoon? On, we're on our second honeymoon because <laughs> this features a couple much younger than we uh, are, um, and he must be in the video production um, scheme of things. And they come from the southeastern U.S. <laughs> and bought an airstream with the idea of having having their honeymoon in it, and they got married in the Keys and have taken the Airstream 15,000 miles all the way to Banff, Lake Louise area of Canada. And uh, he puts on various film clips on his website. He calls it a blog um, of their various adventures and the things that they learned because they are rookie RVers. And um, the production values looked very slick, and it looked like an entertaining website. So keep an eye on that. So longlonghoneymoon.com. And also, at the same time, we have uh, another uh, video on YouTube, which you might want to take a look at. I'm, I'm actually not going to uh, tell you the URL because it's so long. This is a guy who was at, at the Fall RV Show and uh, is showing off some of the latest and greatest in RVs that uh, were there at the manufacturer's show. The Fall show. RV Show? You mean that's from where Perry? The manu- no, that's where the manufacturers oh, actually the roll out their latest models, and it's in November. But the, the YouTube video shows... Uh, the, uh, some of the things that he that he saw, and you can get an idea of what's the what's new and, and neat with uh, RVs. We try to keep you up to date with uh, what's going on with uh, the web. This is the RV personality quiz. So by filling out a bunch of questions, and I think this is kind of well, I don't know. It's it's done half. Did joking. you do it? I haven't done it. Yes, I did. What is your RV personality? Actually, it's it's called the RV personality quiz, but they use it to help you select what the, kind of RV you want. What kind of RV you want? Did you right. come out with what you have? No. <laughs> Does that mean we have to buy another one? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I'm not going to put this, uh, I'm not going to tell you what the link is, but go to our webpage and I'll have the link there um, because it's uh, rather long, but it's at HGTV. If you're undecided about what model or what RV to buy, not model, but style of RV, then you want to go here and take a look at the quiz. Did it match you? What do you mean, did it match me? Well, when you took it, it, what did it come out with? It came out with a Class C. Oh, which is what I would rather have, I think. <laughs> so I was answering the questions on your behalf. I see. All right. Um, so I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a lowdown on uh, on Perry. Um, Martha didn't go around and really look at the RVs. Their display of RVs was not nearly as extensive as it was in the Tampa Super the Show. Tampa Super and I'd Show. seen four days' worth of RVs there. So and She doesn't like to walk around and look at these things, but I do. They had uh, a definite uh, predominance of class, large class A's, I would say. Like um, Tampa, which had a very balanced... Mm-hmm. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Or a lot of everything. A lot of everything. They had 1,500 RVs to look at. So if you're going to look at RVs, uh, I would say that Tampa's the place to go. But uh, Perry, they said they had 1,000 RVs on display, but I kind of doubt that. But they did have a couple of interesting ones, and uh, of course, the Sprinter chassis is one of those things that's really coming into its own. And the Sprinter is this kind of large van. It's it's would be considered to be a Class B, I believe. And several manufacturers are manufacturing RVs based on this chassis, and it's got a Mercedes diesel or maybe another kind of diesel. It also has uh, the the bigger size than just a regular van, so. 
they're trying to get the weight down. But retain the lifestyle? And retain the lifestyle as well as the uh, the gas mileage that, you, that you're going to demand. You might want to take a look at those, and you'll recognize them because they're tall and not as wide and longer than a standard van. But I also looked at one... Um, which I have the brochure for here, uh, by Safari called the Trek. <laughs> this was really very interesting because it had uh, no bedroom. What? It's Asleep a- at the wheel. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it's a 29-foot RV, Class A, with slides and all the Class A features, but it had a hide-a-bed. And that is the bed came down from the ceiling. Like a Murphy bed? No. There were some that had Murphy beds. And, you know, and, and the bedroom, it makes a lot of sense to have something like a Murphy, Murphy bed. Because the bed takes up a lot of room when you're only in bed, it exactly. a few hours a night. So that in the TV lounge area, right behind the driver, it has a bed that is comes electric, down from the ceiling. comes down from the ceiling and is there uh, out of the way when you're not using it and you push the button, it comes down and you... Would it be hard to change the sheets? Well, I don't know. It comes down pretty far. We were looking at a picture here. Uh-huh. Huh. It, it's, it's an interesting it was, idea. It was an interesting idea. And then you have a 29-foot, and that would be... That gives you a lot of space for others? You know, most of the time the bedroom probably adds... Where least, were the clothes closets? At least... <laughs> <laughs> Very important clothes closets. Uh, well, <laughs> there were no clothes closets. Well, I do. <laughs> you're only 29 feet here. It's not a class C. This is a full. When you look at it from the outside, it looked like a regular class A, but you did notice that it was somewhat shorter. But uh, it it didn't lack for quality features on the inside because the bed just kind of slipped down from the ceiling. So if you're looking at something small to drive, then that would be it. And then on the other end of the scale, the thing that really impressed me were some of the Winnebago Itascas. Um, Winnebago and Itasca, of course, are the same brand. And they have two big opposing slides as well as these full wall slides, which are very impressive and and make for a very slick floor plan. Um, another one that, that we saw was the Alpha. Many of the RVs these days have a bath and a half, which to us is kind of a waste. I certainly wouldn't want to waste uh, all that extra space on an extra half bath. One of the things they did do was they put the toilets separate from the rest of the bathroom. And so they have the toilet mid-coach with a sink. And then in the back of the coach, they have a walk-in closet with the shower and another sink. Now, that really seems to make a lot of sense to me because the toilet's the thing you use and you'd share with other people. And the bathroom in the back makes... uh, well, I guess the half bathroom in the back or the rest of it, and the big walk-in closet, and they had a walk-in pantry, so that made uh, uh, a very nice feature. And, then, of course, that's uh, alphas are made in California. There has been a lot of chatter about Wi-Fi, how to get connected to the Internet, and almost the first question that anybody asks is how to get connected to the Internet. And fortunately, we've had some experience with that. In some places we get uh, good Wi-Fi. In some places we can use the campground Wi-Fi. In some places we can use our satellite. And sometimes we use the cell phone. I would say that uh, of the three, we prefer the satellite. It's the most stable and the best connection. Um, and then I would go to the The cell phone cell is phone. faster sometimes. Yep. Sometimes, but not most of the time. And then to the campground. Although it depends on where you're located in the campground. Some of the campground Wi-Fi's we've gotten have been very good. But let me just kind of talk about some ways that you can 
improve your Wi-Fi your Wi-Fi connection. Most Wi-Fi connections, if you use more than one computer, have a router, and positioning the router is important. Um, you got to be careful about metal, and the metal skin of your RV does count. So if you have a fiberglass um, skin, then that's okay. The signals will go right through it, but most metal skins, it won't. So you want to position it maybe in front of a window or someplace where you can, where the antennas have clear access to the outside. Um, remember also that Wi-Fi is a um, <laughs> wireless, of course. Um, wireless fidelity is what Wi-Fi stands for. And you will get... Uh, interference and one of the biggest thing for things that you'll get interference from is my microwave your microwave do not use your microwave while you're trying to do computing and if your neighbor is using his microwave on your and you're at the campgrounds Wi-Fi you're probably going to have uh, in, an interrupted signal or no dinner or no dinner <laughs> <laughs> or they won't have dinner. But you have to look around and see what's happening in terms of your campground because a microwave is very, very much on the same frequency and it will totally interrupt any Wi-Fi signal that you have. And it can do it from quite a distance. Uh, you might want to consider a repeater, which will boost the signal because Wi-Fi goes maybe 150 feet or so, depending on where it's located, and you will want to have some sort of way to, to boost the signal. What does a repeater look like? Um, it looks a lot like the router with an antenna on it. So it has a big antenna? No, it just has a similar antenna, but it boosts. Amplifies it. Yeah, and it would be kind of would be halfway in between. Uh, upgrade your router. Be sure that you keep the software in your router up to date because uh, this is called a firmware update, and if you go to the router manufacturer's website, you'll find that your router probably needs a, if it's very old at all, it probably needs some firmware updates, and that's easy to do, and it will give your router the latest and greatest in terms of uh, the software that's built like into Like once it. a year or once a month? or. Uh, I would say once every six months probably mm -hmm. would be a good idea. Upgrade the software on your computer. Um, there is Wi-Fi software on your computer, whether you have Mac or Windows. So you want to make sure that you have the latest and the greatest on that, uh, that uh, also. Tweaking your settings, another good idea. For instance, almost all routers come designed out of the box to broadcast on Channel 6. There are 11 channels. If everybody's broadcasting on Channel 6, it can cause a problem. So you need to switch your channel. Do things like walkie-talkie and CB affect it um, too, then? Or is that a different set of those channels? Those are usually... CBs don't, definitely. Um, this is in the um, gigahertz range, so it probably doesn't... Uh, is not affected by most walkie-talkies, but it could be affected by some cell phones, and certainly 2.4 gigahertz... Uh, Wireless telephones will definitely affect it, but most RVs would not have that. That's a house thing. But that's a house thing. But if you're having trouble in your house, get rid of everything else that uses the 2.4 gigahertz uh, frequency range. And that might be baby monitors. It might be uh, wireless telephones, not necessarily cell phones, but wireless telephones that you would have uh, in your house. One of the things you want to do is secure your network. Um, why pay for somebody else to use your network? And that may be slowing your network down just because uh, somebody else is jumping on and doing downloads or something. So They're but, downloading the RV Navigator podcast. Oh, well, that would be okay, of course. But um, they might be downloading other things that you don't know about, and you might want to consider 
controlling that so that you don't have uh, other people using it. Our Wi-Fi works good when it's working, and uh, we've been very pleased with it overall, and it provides us with great uh, access for our three computers that we carry in the RV to access the Internet without much trouble, um, except when there are trees. Which they're often are. Or when we are out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> when there's no cell and there are trees. It's becoming more and more common that uh, there's free wireless access. Of course, you can go to Panera Bread, almost any place in the United States. And my understanding is, is that Starbucks is going to be offering free Wi-Fi also. And when I'm making campground reservations, I've learned to mention the fact that I want to use my dish, and the campground owners are more aware than they used to be of which of their sites would work better for us. Okay, so that should about do it for the RV Navigator for this month. And uh, we'll try to do two in the next, uh, in the future, but for next month we're only going to do one episode. So. And we'll be late. And Well, hopefully we'll be able to upload it from Mexico. I'll be taking all of the equipment we the need. The studio and if we have, is it, coming on the sailboat? Yep, <laughs> because we'll be in a sailboat near you. So this is Ken, the RV Navigator, saying see you around. And Martha, the co-pilot, w- wishing you happy sailing. 